Welcome to the Mapped Out Money Podcast, where we help you use your money to do more of what matters. You're listening to episode number 79. And today's episode is brought to you by Ahead in 100. This is our group coaching program to help you get ahead with your money in 100 days. And uh, when this podcast comes out, we actually will be in the middle of our next enrollment. So if that's something that you would like to learn more about, just go to aheadin100.com if you're interested in getting our help uh, with your money over the next couple of months. So we're trying something new today. These are going to be our fun money chats. So talks about uh, money and money related things and ideas, but fun. Yeah, it's somewhat inspired from uh, the podcast My First Million. Somewhat. I feel like it's like 100%. Inspired. Which we really like. But basically, the way they do their show is both Sam and Sean just kind of show up with a list of topics that they both have been looking at, thinking about the last week or two that they're like, oh, this would be fun to talk to you know, the other one about and kind of get their thoughts on it. And then they just do as many topics as they can get to in, you know, 45 minutes or an hour or so. And then that's the episode. And I really love that show. Uh, I like the format a lot. So we're kind of going to try something similar. So I don't actually know what Hannah's brought uh, to talk about and she doesn't know what I brought. And uh, we're just going to kind of talk through it the same way that we basically do all the time over dinner in the car whatever when yeah, we've something been interesting to is these. on our mind yeah, yeah it's been it's kind of hard i it think is. we'll get better at it as we go so. but yeah so. we've been trying to like set these aside and not bring them up to each other okay so i'll go first this is from a newsletter that i got from paula pant and um, she does like real estate investing stuff. And so she sent out this email and she started talking about recency bias in it. So I'll share a quote. This is from a Schwab asset management person. Uh, it says recency bias is the tendency to place too much emphasis on experiences that are freshest in your memory, even if they are not the most relevant or reliable. Um, and so she was kind of talking about it in the context of we've all gotten used to this like decade long bull run in the market. Along those lines, I thought about it with our interest rates, totally. because this has been like super top of mind with us and like house slash we call it the building which we're not trying to make that like some monumental thing it just feels weird well, it's, to, not, it's a not a house, house. but anyways house. <laughs> our our interest rates like five point five point five nine yeah and um that sounds really bad compared to like the two point whatever we got when we bought in fairhope yeah, 2.9 i think but yeah. historically speaking that's still really good and so it's like Trying to control for that recency bias is just uh, it's just an interesting idea. It is. It's uh, I was talking to a friend of mine last week, actually, about about our interest rates, because I told him what we were doing. And he was like, oh, man, that kind of sounds high. Is that just me or is that this five, five and a half really high? And I was like, well, I mean, it's definitely higher than it has been over the last few years. Uh, and when they really dropped to a low during COVID, it was you know, this is really high relative to that. I think that's part of the reason that that um, housing prices skyrocketed over the last couple of years, because with interest rates so low, people don't think about total housing costs. What they think about is, can I afford the monthly payment? Yeah. And so when that interest rate drops, then their monthly payment drops. So now they can afford more house. But I was looking it up because I got curious after the conversation. And I, I think the average interest rate in the U.S. for 30-year fixed home mortgages um, is like seven, seven and a half percent since 1971. Mm -hmm. If you look at the last 50 years or whatever. So five still sounds pretty good. Five sounds pretty good. Yeah. You know, like I'll take it. So, yeah, um, I think it's interesting, too. I mean, this may be a little bit of a misapplication, but we've had conversations with people about, you know, hey, I've been saving up to do this home renovation now, like, everything's so expensive. My stomach's growling. I don't know if you're going to be able to hear that in the microphone. Anyways, if you do, just ignore it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, everything's so expensive now. So, like, should I go ahead and, like, move forward with my um, renovation or should I, like, wait? And, again, like, we're kind of comparing prices that we're used to. Mm -hmm. I think the thing to, to consider with recency buys is more like you want to pay attention and catch yourself when you might be falling into it. And then the right decision is to do things that you know are always true. So th there's a quote, I forget who said it, but um, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes is, is the idea. And so there's a lot to be learned from history. Even if it's recent history, we tend to humans tend to think like history does repeat itself. Mm -hmm. So we'll look at the past and think that 
okay, it's going to happen exactly like that in the future. And that's not the case. And that's that's where recency bias comes into play because whatever happened recently, we're like, oh, well, it's going to continue to happen like that or or whatever. And there's stuff to be learned. It rhymes, but but you can't just put all your stock in it. So that's where I think you have to go, okay, well, what is always true? Well, it's always true that you shouldn't overextend yourself financially, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, what do I mean when I say that? Well, I mean, don't lock yourself into fixed bills, car payment, house payment, all your fixed stuff. Don't lock yourself into a position where that all those fixed bills add up to more than 50 or 60% of your income. Because the second you start getting over that amount, um, things are going to feel really, 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 really tight. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, well, but I, I should do my renovation now because, you know, it's, it's you know, prices aren't going to go down, you know, they just keep on going and up and up and up. And it's like, yeah, okay, maybe. But if, if you're, you're having, if you're having to take on a big like HELOC in order to do that, which is going to be a big extra payment that you're locking yourself into, probably still not a good idea, even though, yes, you might have to pay more in the future or something yeah, like that. I think that's a great point. So I guess to... To maybe tie those ideas together, put less emphasis on like comparing what is happening now with either what recently happened in the past or what you think might happen in the near future and put more emphasis just on like, okay, what is my situation right now? Mm -hmm. And financially, like, what can I handle right now? And don't because it is really tempting to go like, well, the cheapest time to do something is always going to be now. Like prices, you know what I mean? Totally. And totally. so it's like, uh, that's, you can get yourself into some dangerous situations totally. living that way. Yep. So, yeah. All right. Anything else here? I don't think so. Other than just maybe to drive the point home, everyone thinking about in their own life when the recency bias might've gotten them in trouble. Right. Um, uh, an example I would think about is our grandparents, I guess that generation. So people who were in there call it, 70s and 80s right now if they had saved money for college for their kids they would have saved a very little amount mm -hmm. because their recency bias says college is not that expensive mm -hmm. it's a couple hundred bucks for a semester right and they would have been way under so it's just uh, i guess that's just one little example but thinking about in your life where you go okay when have i made a decision based on what had recently happened but then what actually ended up happening in the future was totally different well you know what i think is interesting there too is you saying that it it's not necessarily like what happened most recently like if you look at that kind of definition from the schwab asset manager person um it says experiences that are freshest in your memory yeah so, so like that's it, it a really interesting idea right it's like yeah like yeah. you know your grandparents that took mm -hmm. 10% on a bill or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. So it's, and they go, well, I, that 10% was a good tip when I was and growing like, up. And it's well, like, yeah, that was now it's 30 not, years ago. You know? It's yeah. not anymore. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That is, that's really interesting. So might be a neat or a helpful thing for us to like at some point sit down and go like, okay, what are, what are the things that like we have stuck in our mind that we're functioning from that maybe aren't, aren't true, true They're now. just what? Um, and I would definitely say that one of them is like our interest rate should be like 3%, you know, and like, oh, kind of hate to do this if we can't get a 3% interest rate. That's not really a helpful. No, that's not a helpful, helpful way, way to think about it because we're just going to be sitting around forever uh, waiting for interest rates. Okay. What's your topic? My topic, um, this has come up, it's, it's uh, about car buying. This has come up very, uh, quite a lot here recently and some group coaching calls and um, when I was talking to some one-on-one -on -one clients and stuff. And I wanted to come up with a framework for buying a car. So I'm going to throw something out there and then I want to hear like, what am I missing? What other reasons are there? And do you think this is a good and helpful way to think about it? So here, here's where I'm going. This is good too, because like, I mean, my car is on the fritz. Like. Yeah, we, we talk about buying and, you know, what we're going to do with your car <laughs> regularly. Uh, just last week, we were talking about like, okay, how much of an expense would your car need to, quote, fix it? And we would go, yep, that's too much total car. Like, at what dollar point are we totaling your car versus actually putting more money into it? Which is really it? sad. I really love my car. Like, I've had my car since I was 16. I have a deep emotional bond with my car. <laughs> like, I'm going to be very sad to see. To see. And it's also... It's named Jaws, you guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> of course it is. I'm going to be very sad to see Jaws go, but continue. So I came up with three 
three buckets of reasons for why someone someone would buy a specific car. All right, the first reason is something practical. Like they're they're coming at this like a like a robot, very objectively, very mathematically, and they're they're looking at the practical items based on their situation. So they're looking at gas mileage. They're looking at the amount of people they need to move regularly. They're looking at the safety features uh, because maybe they have little kids, and so they're concerned about that. They're looking at all of the practical points that you could buy a car. They don't care about the look. They don't care about the color. They don't care about whatever. They're trying to be as efficient and hypothetically practical as possible. Okay. The second reason you might buy a car, a specific car, would be status, right? It's mm-hmm. actually less about the practicality of the car, and it's about how you're going to look to the people that see you driving that car. Mm-hmm. This is why I believe a lot of men won't drive a minivan, even though it is the most practical vehicle on the road. Hot take. I wonder if people are going to be mad at that statement. <laughs> uh, a lot of women, for that matter, too, they're not going to drive a minivan because of that. It's a mom car, right? They don't want to do that. That's what their mom drove. They want a suburban, whatever. But if they're being totally objectively practical about it, I think a minivan's hard to beat. Okay. Third reason that you are driving the car is less practical, but it is a desired goal that you have. And so I guess this is kind of practical, but I, but I lump it separately. It's a goal that you want to do with the car that feels a little bit less tangible. So an example here would be like buying a car because it's going to be a relationship builder as a mm. project for you and your son. Okay. Um, or buying a car that you legitimately do enjoy and drive. Like I think it would be a disingenuous to say that people only ever buy it for status or practical. I do think there's a subset of people that are very into cars. They like it. They they love learning about them. They're very nerdy about it. Your cousin Jordan would be this way. Yeah, totally. It's totally. just a thing for them. So it's it's either a hobby, it's something they really enjoy, or it would be like a relationship building uh, thing, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Um, buying a car that you're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, we're going to upgrade this and, and work on well, it or whatever with my kid. And then it's really more of a relationship play than also, it is anything else. something like, um, like I want to go hiking and camping more. And yes. so maybe you buy like an, you know, like the Subaru type car that like accommodates that. So it can also be like a little bit of, um, I know it's hard to talk about this without it being convoluted, but like a little bit of that, like building the identity that you want. But when we use that phrase, we're really talking about, okay, getting a car that helps you build the habits that you want to implement, because I hope you're not finding your identity in your car. But anyways. Well, so, okay. So there's, those are the three buckets, right? You've got super practical status, Mm -hmm. and then you've got some sort of specific goal that, that is a little less tangible. Yeah. Okay. And, and the idea is that cars are just super expensive. Like, if you're going to go buy a brand new car right now, even a Honda Civic, what I would historically consider, or a Toyota Corolla, what I would historically consider like a very reasonable, reasonable, practical base type car, they're over 20 grand. And so no matter what you're buying these days, this is a a very significant purchase. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure that when you're thinking about that purchase – are you actually spending your money on a value that is important to you? Or are you letting other things influence you um, that when you really try and think about it actually aren't that important to you? And I would argue, obviously I'm biased here, but I would argue like status should not be a big reason for you to buy a car. Yeah, I, I definitely think that overall you'll be happiest if you can like try to consciously minimize the importance that you're placing on status. Yep. But we have like... We've really tried to wrestle with this, like thinking about, okay, what do we want to do when we need to deal with a car? And like at first, we planned to straight up just go minivan. And at that point, we were living in Fairhope. And so we were going to be doing like a lot of long back and forths. Mm-hmm. And it was like minivan. It's going to be the easiest to travel in. It's going to be the most comfortable to travel in. And a minivan in. also, it's the best gas mileage for size of vehicle. So in terms of like if you were to rank the amount of people you can move mm-hmm. compared to the gas mileage the vehicle gets, mm-hmm. you're just not going to meet a minivan. So if you're traveling long distances and you need that space, it's going to be impossible to beat that. Yeah. But then when we decided um, that we were going to move to Knoxville, kind of I told you in the mix of all that, I was like, hey, you know, I kind of want us to rethink this minivan mm-hmm. thing. 
because Knoxville, you know, is a little bit bigger city. We like going downtown. I really don't want to drive a van around anywhere or like everywhere. Yeah, and certainly not downtown. Yeah, and so we would have a van, and then we would have a, a honking truck, a huge truck. And yeah. so, like, I don't, I don't want to drive either of those around all the time. And so, I really like the Subaru type cars that are like kind of more outdoorsy and you know put like kayak racks on the top because mm-hmm. y'all know how we want those kayaks. <laughs> <laughs> and someday we're going to get them. Um, but kind of balancing the status thing, I feel like if I was going to go like the ultimate car that I like that also is like the most status and whatever, it would be a Subaru. Mm-hmm. But the Toyota like RAV4, I feel like I really like the look of them and I really um, – I think I would enjoy that size of vehicle. It's very comparable to my beloved Jaws. Mm-hmm. And I, my car has been so functional. It's been awesome. Through we've gone tons of seasons of car. life. Yeah. We have, you know, we've done everything in that car. Yeah. It's awesome. And so I, I think, you know, my my big thing with this, we don't, we don't have to keep harping on this, but it's just that so often in my coaching calls and even in myself, I just see a lot of the decision making around car buying a lot of it really does have to do with status or what other people are going to think because it looks cool it's not purely just enjoyment right mm-hmm. so like for for me i have definitely had desires to get cars in the past uh, or certain cars or certain things like that uh, trucks or whatever and when I really diagnose it, I go, okay, I, I'm actually thinking a lot about like what someone else thinks of me when I drive this car. Yeah. It's very much the Morgan Housel story of him, you know, being a valet and thinking like how cool other people would think he is if he drove those cars. But then realizing that he didn't think the guys driving the cars were cool. He, he was just, just thought how cool thinking he about would how be cool he would be if, if he, he could was have driving that car, the car. Right. And that's what everybody does. So you know, not only is status really, to me, a false uh, goal, it's something you really shouldn't pursue anyways, it doesn't even oftentimes get you that because people really often don't care that much about it. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, nobody else is thinking about you as much as you are thinking no, about you. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just, I, I'm, for me personally, I'm trying very hard as we think about our car purchases, as I talk to people who are trying to buy cars, to really focus on balancing the super practical safety, gas mileage, people moving, like what do you need the car to do with maybe a couple of extra benefits of the goal or the enjoyment or the whatever, right? Yeah. And, you know, and that's ultimately, I think we did a really good job with that on our truck because we basically were like, we need to tow our RV when Mm -hmm. we were going to go, you know, RV full time. It was like, we need to tow the trailer. And we need to be able to fit us and our pets in it. Us and our pets in it. And so it's like, what's the most practical vehicle we can get for that? And it ended up being like a super used truck for twelve grand that had a diesel in it. And it had like 200,000 miles on it. But what did it, our nephew say the last time he got in our truck? He's like, like <laughs> why are there holes in your seats? <laughs> I was like, because it's old, buddy. <laughs> this truck was 2001. Oh and, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, this truck is like way older than you are. You know, but it... <laughs> But it, um, we were able to pay for it in cash, and it towed everything, um, and and it's a diesel, so it runs forever. So, you know, these days it's very expensive to drive because of gas prices. But in terms of our overall costs, I mean, to buy a brand new truck at, with the equivalent towing power and everything would be like a seventy thousand dollar truck. And, yeah, and like just that's just not a priority for either I can't one of do us. That right yeah, now. yeah. Um, and I think. This is another great example of why it's so helpful to have like open lines of communication with your spouse and just being being a good spot where you can have um, you can have discussions like this without like one of you feeling attacked or anything, because we have talked a ton about this. And like, I mean, you've called me out because as much of not a car person as I am, like Mm -hmm. I would not consider myself a car person. I still like love the new Broncos because they look cool. I mean, I yeah, like the you're, old Broncos. You're such a Bronco kick, and I just do not get it. I know. I really like them. But you're like, you like 100% just want that because it looks cool. And I'm like, yeah, you're totally right. Like, <laughs> totally. that is that is not, that shouldn't actually be a serious consideration for That's us. like when you, you had a Wrangler kick for a while, 
And I still really like Jeeps, but I, I was like, look, I grew up driving a Wrangler. Okay? Yeah, my dad had they're like one. Problems. They're soft tops. Okay, there are a ton of problems to work on. If you have a soft top, you'll never drive it above fifty-five miles an hour. So going on the interstate is dumb because yeah. it's so loud and annoying. You're not going to want to do that all the time. And and so it just from a practical standpoint now, and that's where it's like if you're uh, if you're into Jeeps. Right, jeeping is like its own thing. Jeep mm-hmm. people wave at each other. It's like a whole culture. Yeah, it's like airstreams. Yes, it is. If you're into it, cool. But don't do it because it looks cool or yeah. it's a status thing. Yeah, you know, it's got to be because that's what you really want because it's what you're into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but anyway, so I mean, you know, you called me out on that, and I was like, yeah, you're right. And then we kind of talked about more okay what's like a balance of practical what we need it to do but also would be enjoyable to drive around town Mm -hmm. for like you know daily errands and stuff so we'll see we'll see what happens and okay last thing on this point you need to be very careful this is the trickiest part with cars to not say give lip service to the practical but really what you're doing is justifying justifying something else right and so the most common one that i hear is safety Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to be safe. I want to be safe. And so what do they do? Well, they go, I need to get the biggest, baddest Subaru suburban expedition explorer that I can find. Tahoe, right? Those are all the big ones. I think. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I need to find the biggest, baddest one that I can find because safety. Right. And and I'm I'm not telling you to go put your kids in a smart car. little smart car. Okay, <laughs> I, I agree. There's something to be said for making sure you have a a minimum amount of safety. Um, But just when you're doing your research, make sure that you're not letting the safety thing. Be realistic with yourself. Like drive and justify something that you actually really just want, but you don't want to admit it. Right. Because all of a sudden you'll be like, well, safety. And then you're like, well, I mean, for an extra thousand, I can get the heated steering wheel. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> are we talking about safety or are we talking about heated steering wheel? Yeah. You know, like, well, it's just being honest with yourself. Totally. So even if you end up with the exact same car, just be honest about why you're why you're buying it. Yes, that's it. Um, OK, my next two kind of go together. OK, so I'm going to start with this idea. This came from a James Clear newsletter. So Atomic Habits guy, he quoted Sasha Aiken, I guess is how you say his name, former CTO at Redfin. And he was sharing financial advice from his grandmother. So here's that quote. When you buy something cheap and bad, the best you're going to feel about it is when you buy it. When you buy something expensive and good, the worst you're going to feel about it is when you buy it. That's interesting. Isn't it? So like for me, cheap and bad, I've done this a ton, like clothes that don't exactly Mm -hmm. fit, but it's like, "Ah, I mean, it's okay. And it's like a super great deal. So I'll just go ahead and buy it. And guess what? I never wear those. They go in my closet and I never get them out because every time I put them on, it's like, this doesn't fit exactly right. Mm -hmm. And like, sure, I only paid $1.50 for it, but I don't like it. And when you, the thing is, is like, even if you look good in something clothing wise, if you don't feel, if you don't feel like it fits you, you well, won't wear it. you're not going to wear it. Yeah. And so then like my expensive and good, like Birkenstocks is like the ultimate example yeah. for me. Like I'm such a hardcore Birkenstock person. You also are like the perfect Birkenstock. Um, I don't know what they would call it. Like I- iconic uh, customer, I guess, or something like that, where you don't wear shoes out badly like the way that I do. Yeah. You're really rough on shoes. And so with something like a Birkenstock, those things just last you forever. Well, they're just durable too yeah. because my first pair of Birkenstocks, I got them when I was in like sixth grade and I think I threw them away last year. I was yeah. like, it's time for these to go. Part of it's because you don't grow. So but yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> um, anyways, do you have any good examples of like what you've done cheap and bad versus expensive and good? Yeah. I mean, um, a, a number of things come to mind. Uh, clothing is, is quick and easy, right? Some jeans I've done that with, uh, I'll buy like a crappy pair of jeans versus like my origin jeans that I really love mm-hmm. that are super durable, that are great. I'm going to wear those forever. Um, another practical example for me is like computers. Mm-hmm. So I have bought at times I have bought really cheap like used computers off of eBay, mostly just quite frankly, because I didn't have the money. Yeah. Right? I was about to say, sometimes it's fine sometimes to do that, fine. to like, like buy you a little bit more time before you can buy the ultimate thing. Um, and so I don't know that I would regret that 
purchase, but you know, I bought a laptop a couple of years ago that I got for a few hundred dollars. It was very used. Um, but I was like, I just need, I need a run around laptop. Yeah. And if this lasts me a couple of years, great, we'll save money and like, we'll save up and get whatever. Um, whereas when I get a laptop that, or, or a, a, a desktop computer that I'm like, this is the fully loaded, maxed out, ready to go thing. And we work on our computers. So it's very important for us. Like I feel confident this this compute this desktop that I've now had for about a year, I'm like we'll get another four or five years out of this. I think yeah. Um, and so I'm very happy with the money that we we put into that. Mm-hmm. I agree. So along those lines, um, I was watching a Sandy Hester video. She's mm-hmm. a Nashville artist that I really enjoy, and um, she's on YouTube. But she had this video where she had gotten these really expensive um, pastels. And she's talking about, she's kind of new to pastels. And she was talking about how people who really like to use them, they like to break them in half and blah, blah, blah. But she had just gotten these. And she was like, I'm trying to like not remember how expensive these were as I break them and, you know, whatever. And so, and she talks a lot about ways to like not be too precious about like a new expensive notebook or whatever. So I thought she was funny talking about that. And so I wanted us to kind of talk about the idea of enjoying expensive things versus like being way too like precious and careful with them. I think, I think there's, there's two things that come to mind. One is I want to avoid the extremes extremes of I can think about people who got something really expensive but they didn't care enough about it really that they either lost it or it was just like trash immediately got trashed or ruined yeah I definitely don't want to be like that you know that on the other hand um was it your dad the coworker was it a coworker or a friend? You don't know remember, about. but yeah, it was somebody who you know bought a new car, brand new. It was like the exact car they wanted, and they like covered their seats they, in the they plastic. They kept their seat stuff. covers in the plastic that yeah. the car came in. Well, no, I think they paid for or like they paid, some okay. fancy but, plastic. But they covered covering. they covered in plastic, like a you know like a plastic wrap, like a trash bag, yeah. basically. And then years later, he was selling the car, and the seats were of course pristine. Because yeah. they had been, you know, basically plastic wrapped the entire time that he drove it. And he was like, why did I do that? I bought this new car that was like what I wanted and I didn't even enjoy the seats. And now I'm selling it as like an old used car with perfect seats, seats. to somebody and, else. And he's like, maybe it like got me an extra few yeah. hundred dollars or something. So he was just talking car, about how he wished that he had enjoyed his seats. Totally. So I think that's the other extreme, right? Is you don't don't enjoy anything. I think... I think there is some benefit to having the right nicer things. So uh, nice things in areas that you really care about because you will go be above and beyond to like handle them with care, mm-hmm. right? This is like, um, I think about sunglasses are a really good example. Um, we have, we bought 300 pair <laughs> uh, <laughs> of uh, cheap sunglasses for our wedding um, as as party favors. They say, they say, you know, true wedding or whatever. Anyways, they're like, they're like exactly what you think of when you think of like cheap college bro sunglasses yeah. is the best way I can say it. Um, well, we didn't, we had like a hundred something people at the wedding. So we walked away with like a lot of 200 something sunglasses. Uh, so I got a box just chock full <laughs> of these sunglasses. <laughs> and uh, because we have so many, I like, I don't like, I wear them wherever I break them. I take them to the beach. I lose them. Like, not worried about it. Not worried about it. Um, but then I have another pair of sunglasses that I recently bought from Gooder. And, like, I keep them in the bag. Also, these are, like, $20 sunglasses, y'all. They are not, like... No, they're not. They're a little more than that. What? Okay. Um, $40. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're, like, 20 they're, to they're 25 They're like, $200 aviators or something. You're right. But, but like, they're, they're nice. And I wear them when I know I'm not going to do something that, like, could cause damage. Like, mm-hmm. go into the ocean or something like that. So, it is interesting that... I will make those pair last way longer um, because I'm interested. I don't know. It's I don't know that that is that that practical, but well, where where I see it coming in, where I have to be kind of mindful is like if I buy a new book or something, and I don't want it to get messed up. Well, then I won't carry it with me, mm. which then means that I read it less. And it's like okay, no. It's okay for this to get reasonably worn. Like, sure, I'm not going to go, I don't know, run it over it with my car. But if it gets in my bag and the corner of the page gets bent a little bit, like, that's okay. You know, and so, like, trying not to be OCD about books or notebooks or art supplies or things like that. Um, 
But the, yeah, there's totally a balance because like, I mean, you know, I have like certain ways that I like things to be done mm-hmm. with my laptop and mm-hmm. Nick does not do them that certain way. So <laughs> and it does not let me touch our computer. <laughs> we There's some stories to tell there, but I'll save them for another time. Um, no, I get what you're saying. You want to find a balance of like, because if you actually use it so nice, like cars are this way. Yeah. Back to the car discussion. If you buy a car that is so nice that you don't even want to drive it out. You're not getting the use out of it. doesn't make any sense to yeah. me. Dad and I used to go, because my dad's a big car guy, and we used to go to car shows. And he always would kind of kind of hate a little bit on guys who would do that. Because mm-hmm. there would be guys that would literally have a truck with a trailer and they're nice cars in the trailer. And they mm-hmm. would drive the truck and the trailer to the car show. And then they would crank the car to drive it out of the trailer, set it out for the car show, and they would crank the car and drive it back into the trailer. And that's basically the only time the car ever got driven was yeah. in and out of the trailer. And he's like, why? Like, I mean, I get it. Like, you know, he's been stuck on the side of the road in his car or he's had stuff happen and it's scratched his old car and it's upsetting. But the reason he loves that car is because he can drive it. Yeah. And so um, there, there is a balance. You don't want to get something so nice that you just never use it. That makes mm-hmm. zero sense. Yeah. Um, well, it's like, you know, we, we kind of splurged and got this leather sofa for yeah. our house. And I had to um, fight the temptation to cover it with blankets. Like, yes. Because we let our pets get on the furniture because we love them. And, um, I mean, you know, the our leather, like, has gotten scratched up a little mm-hmm. bit and whatever. But it's like, that's why I got leather. Because I told Nick, I was like, I want something durable and I want it to age well. And I, if it gets scratched up or whatever, I just kind of want it to look like worn leather, yes. you know. And that's why we got it. Um, but then, of course, as soon as it came, my temptation is like, keep it covered all the time. Don't let yeah. anything happen to it. And it's it. like, yeah, but then why did you buy that couch exactly. in that color? Because the blanket totally takes away yeah. from the aesthetics of that couch. It makes no sense. So we did not leave our couch covered. We We are letting it develop character. So... Yeah, that's interesting. So I think an interesting question is like, what things in your life have you bought that maybe you actually don't get the full value out of because you're so concerned about them? And is there something that you can do to like help yourself get past that? Like, I know Sandy Hester and her new um, art notebooks, she normally like opens up to the first page and uses it as a test for like colors of different mediums that she uses. So like she'll just get pastels or whatever and scribble on the page in different colors. And it kind of helps her get over like this brand new notebook that I don't want to mess up and well, that's it like your uh, your running coach right yeah your running coach in uh, middle school yeah wasn't it? whenever we got a new pair of shoes he was like all right you got to find a puddle jump in it gotta like, jump in the mud yeah just get it done <laughs> uh and just just move on yeah because otherwise you're always worried about those shoes getting dirty and you know whatever you don't want to run or you want to run on the new ones mm-hmm. yeah sam Parr talked about that um he like had a hot minute where he got into watches you know? oh yeah because he was like oh like oh, i'll get into watches i got somebody that's into watches and he was like dude i couldn't do that like, I, I couldn't have, like, these expensive watches that I'm just walking around with on my wrist. Like, so then I didn't even wear them. So then I'm like, okay, so now I just have these expensive watches in a case at home. That yeah, doesn't that make doesn't any make sense. sense. Uh, so anyway, so he was like, I got out of that hobby. But, I mean, I, I every area, right? Get, guitars are that way. People buy these super nice guitars, but then they don't want to play the guitars because they don't want to mess them up. You know, it's there's a bajillion examples. Yeah, totally. Okay, so I have one more topic to do. And I've been wanting to talk about this on the podcast uh, a little bit since it came up in a group coaching call we did a couple of weeks ago. Um, you and I have talked about this a ton of times, but it can be helpful if it's the first time that you've heard of this. So the topic that I want to talk about is why millennials are soft. Uh, <laughs> and um, We're millennials, by the way, we're millennials, so we by can the say way. that. Uh, comes up a lot because I consistently see people in their 40s and 50s, uh, some in their 60s, who have kids. Uh, people, you know, kids in their 20s and 30s who just don't have their stuff together. They don't have their life together. And there can be a lot of resentment from uh, from the older generations towards millennials, you know, about that. And there's a lot of, you know, all oh, these friggin' kids, you know, they're just lazy, right? And so what I want to do is is lay out the argument that defends both groups, basically. Okay. To defend the the boomers and the Gen X for a second. At the end of the day, everything that I'm going to say in a minute on the millennial side is somewhat of a moot point because at the end of the day, you have to take ownership of your own actions. 
And every person should be held responsible for their own actions and take ownership of their own situation. And they should, you know, man up or whatever, right? You know what I mean? Like they should they should do what needs to be done regardless of the situation that they find themselves in. And so there is some level of truth to uh, the frustration that older generations feel towards our generation. Now, on the flip side, there is this fantastic quote. And, and if you're interested in this topic, I'm going to give you a couple of resources uh, on this. But there's this fantastic quote that I heard a couple of years ago that really helped me understand cycles. This goes back to history, doesn't repeat it, but often rhymes. There's, there's a cycle that um, many nations, empires find themselves in. And it goes like this. Bad times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create bad times. So that cycle, the way that I would lay it out across our U.S. history, would be that the greatest generation, which are the, the generation that's their name, pretty, pretty killer name, right? The greatest generation. Uh, that is the generation who was coming of age, who was living, working, and taking care of business during the Great Depression. Those are the hardcore people, right? These are our great-great-grandparents, mine and yours. Well, not or even— Or our great-grandparents, I should say. No, I was going to say, not even that far back. And and I know my—me uh, mom in particular, my mm -hmm. mom's mom, I mean, she talks about—so her dad died when she was a little girl, and her mom got very sick. I think she had pneumonia. And when Meemaw, my grandmother, was three years old, she remembers— Waking up in the middle of the night to put coal on the fire mm -hmm. to keep the house warm while her yeah. while her mother was recovering from yes. pneumonia. Yeah, you know, and I mean they were like legit people wringing the necks of chickens and yes. stuff. And so to think about how disconnected we are from from oh, yeah. that, yeah, it's just crazy how recent like, all of that it's stuff very is. Very recent. Yeah. So so you've got the greatest generation, the, this is the Great Depression era folks. They're in the toughest of some of the toughest of tough times in, in as far as U.S. history is concerned. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they're tough people. Now they created through their tenacity, their grit, uh, some slightly better times. Not great times, but slightly better times. And so our grandparents did have it. I would say slightly easier than their parents in terms of. Uh, technology, what was going on in the world, comfort levels, what it took to make it, so to speak. And then our parents, so this is now we're into Gen X, right? So uh, grandparents for me is boomers, and then Gen X is next. Uh, our parents, our parents uh, definitely didn't have it easy, but they didn't have it like our great-grandparents and our grandparents did. Our parents didn't go to Vietnam. Our parents didn't have to fight the same battles that our grandparents and great-grandparents did. But there are some things that they did do. Most, if you're in the middle class in the U.S., uh, most middle-class Gen Xers grew up working jobs through high school, working jobs in college, um, paying their way. So Gen X way. is our parents? Gen X is our parents. Okay. Right? So I always thought my parents were baby boomers. Your parent, well, your parents are a little older than my parents, but they're they're right at the tail end. They're Burn if my parents are... <laughs> <laughs> um, my parents are like solidly Gen X. Okay. Your parents are are right at that breaking point. Okay. In the same I was just way fact that, checking you. But, yeah, yeah okay. no, no. So your parents are right at the breaking point. They're like, I think they're very top end of Gen X. Okay. I'd have to look at the dates exactly. But then what happened is our parents created some really nice times. Like millennials, we grew up in a pretty cushy time. Like the 90s were great. You know, <laughs> like they were, they were great. It, it, technology is awesome. Everybody gets anything they want. It's like super instantaneous online. Like all this is coming of age, the early 2000s. Um, parents are, a lot of parents in the middle class are in a position. I know this is not everybody, but a lot of parents in the middle class in the 90s and the 2000s are in a position that they can afford to not have to make their kids work mm -hmm. in high school. Well, and you see a lot of that mindset, like, oh, you've got your whole life to work. Totally. I don't want you to have to work while you're in college. Yep. Enjoy the college experience. I had to work all the way through, and I don't want you to have to do what I did, and now I can afford for you. To, so I want you to enjoy your childhood. Yeah, it, it's coming from a really it is. kind place. place. It yeah. is. It's coming from a loving place. So that So they've created some really good times. And those good times have led 
to a generation of soft people, weak yeah. people, in my opinion. Uh, this is like the John Chris bit where he talks about like, can you imagine if there was a draft right now? Mm-hmm. Like the, you know, just the, the way it is. This is the Bo Burnham clip. You know, he has that line where he says, when he was 27, my granddad fought in Vietnam. When I was 27, I built a birdhouse with my mom. Yeah. Right. Like that's us. Yeah. And, and so to a certain extent, we are a product of the environment and the time in which we were born. Are there really tough, strong millennials who had who had really tough situations that they came out of? Yeah. Um, but on the whole, are we softer than previous generations? In my opinion, yes. And my prediction, put my tinfoil hat on here, <laughs> <laughs> my prediction is that uh, this is leading to tough times. And yeah. we're already seeing that. We're already seeing that some uh, with the way the debt is in this country, the way the inflation is in this country, the, the way, way the people feel entitled to is, things, the way people feel entitled to things. We're leading to some tough times. And I think we are entering a period in America where the next couple of decades are going to be tougher than they have been in the previous decades. And so to argue for millennials here, to a certain extent, this is going to sound like it's not my fault. I'm such a millennial. It's not my fault. Right. That's what it's going to sound like. But to a certain extent. Um, we were born at the height of like American uh, exceptionalism, if you will, American prosperity. And that tends to create people who are not as prepared. And we see this, go read Roman history, you'll see this. Um, This is what happens before the fall of the Roman Empire. Back to my point, to a certain extent, I think if you're an older generation, you you should a little bit blame yourself and also cut millennials a little bit of slack because they're not as prepared, and things are legitimately getting tougher. And so when you look at the, if you look at the stats around the cost of a house compared to the average income, it's way higher now than it was in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. If you look at the cost of college tuition compared to average income, it's way higher. If you look at the cost of medical care compared to average income, it's way higher. And so you've got this group of people that are less prepared entering into a tougher environment and it's hard and so yeah a lot of them are stuck at home a lot of them are trying to figure it out a lot of them try to whatever again to balance it look you got to take ownership you got to step up you got to you got to do the thing so i'm not you know i'm not trying to let our generation off with a pass but to me that is a little bit about why we see what we see well i think it's interesting like we were talking about with our just our grandparents and like how separated we are from the difficulties that they went through. And when you when you look at that, like, biblically, like, you see it with the Israelites, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, you know, God rescues them out of Egypt and everything, and you see how quickly the oh, generations separate so from how God has delivered on his promises and all of that. And um, so you see it repeatedly that the previous generation fails to pass those things on in a really strong way to the next generation, and it makes hard times. It makes real hard times. Yeah. So, I mean, you you see it in in little things and big things. Even even like like I said, you know, I don't go if I had to wring a chicken's neck to survive, I would not survive <laughs> very <dead>. long. <laughs> so it is just amazing how quickly times change and how quickly you get separated from those experiences. Well, and this is why you hear like the cliche is we're the uh, participation trophy generation. Yeah. Right. From a young age, many of us were coddled mm-hmm. for too long, mm-hmm. right? Well, it's like the whole college experience thing, right? Yeah. Like, and and the reason I say this is because, well, I don't know. I'm not. I'm really not hating on anybody. It's like I feel I feel, I feel bad, bad for people who have been put in this situation. I feel really bad because parents do do this from a very loving place of like. I don't want you to have to work. I want you to be able to enjoy it. You know, all of this stuff. You can get a job when you get out. But what happens is then you've got a kid who's 22, 23, and all of a sudden they're supposed to come out of the gate acting like a full-blown adult, having a full-time job, doing all this stuff, full-time and like job, be totally independent. Bills. And what's really, really hard if you grew up middle class, and Lord help, if you grew up upper middle class, you're almost, it can almost be tougher because if you grew up upper class, then fine, your parents got money, it doesn't matter. But if you grew up upper middle class, your parents w- didn't have enough money to put you through college without debt, but you didn't get any help from FAFSA or student aid. Mm-hmm. And so you're coming out with hefty student debt, you're getting an entry-level salary job, 
Well, and you're used to your parents' lifestyle. That's what I was going to say. And you grew up in a super cushy lifestyle. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the way you live the last 22 years, you can't live that way anymore. And it is eye-opening. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you can help your kids, if you can help your kids develop into an adult, you know, one step at a time. That's a, that's a much kinder way. Yes. It feels like tough love and it's hard to do in the moment. And I think it can feel like unloving in the moment, but it really is loving because you're helping them develop into the adult that they, they need totally. to be. And side note, this will be, I'll try to make it fast, but Jocko and uh, Jordan Peterson talk about this mm-hmm. with like, we put too much emphasis on childhood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, childhood is a much smaller percentage of your life than adulthood. And if you're doing adulthood right, it should be much more fun than childhood. Mm -hmm. But that's not what we we sell kids on like, oh, childhood is amazing and you'll just never get it back. And, you know, your life will just kind of suck after you're not a child anymore (laughs) because you have responsibilities and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you have freedom. You can do what you want when you're an adult. You know, like you get to build the life that you want to build and work towards the things that you want to work towards. And um, so I like... I like the way uh, Jordan Peterson and Jocko talk about that. I think it's very true. Mm-hmm. No, I totally frame agree. up adulthood. If you wanted to learn more about everything we just talked about, if that's an interesting topic for you, there's a book called The Fourth Turning. That's very good. There is a video. If you don't want to read a book, go to YouTube, and we'll put this in the show notes, but go to YouTube and search for Van Neistat fourth turning it's a guy named van neistat who did casey a, neistat's brother yeah killer video it's like a 12 minute video that really just really explains this concept very well uh and then also we'll link this up in the show notes as well but uh, my my favorite blogger tim urban has an article called generation y yuppies raising kids and getting your you know so it's anyways <laughs> it's it's why millennials are the way they are gen y yuppies and uh it also does an incredible job explaining in better detail than what I said, uh, some of what we talked about. Okay, so along the lines of, this really is not generational, because I think you see this across all generations at this point, like the current generations. Mm-hmm. Um, using leisure time, we we equate leisure time with like mindless, zone out, yes, completely unproductive time. So I was reading this article from David Peril, Um, yesterday and it was the title stop killing time and he makes a statement that like if you're okay with killing time then it's not scarce enough and that basically we've decided that if you are working and earning money you know like that's productive Mm -hmm. and then if you're not earning money then it's not productive and so you might as well like turn your brain do it extreme non-productive yes and so he's making the argument like, okay, we need to find time, find ways to enjoy leisure without wasting time. So he says, you know, like work is results driven and that well-spent leisure should be valuable in itself. Um, and so he says that like well-spent leisure is a chance to reflect on where we've been, where we are and where we're going. It's kind of an opportunity for like philosophical level thought. It's a time for prayer. Um, it should be it should be valuable in and of itself. And I think I just think that that's a really interesting idea because I think you see people that are worn down mm-hmm. and that like don't know why they're worn down and but we have more, quote unquote, leisure time, more brainless time than probably any other. Well, totally. Uh, previous generations, I was looking at this not that long ago, I think, uh, you know, back to like the, the greatest generation and, uh, you know, our great grandparents, uh, people in the early 1900s. Um, first off, those people didn't live very long. Like yeah. they, the average age of death was, you know, not 79 that it is today. It's like 60 something. And then second off, um, they worked on average, much longer hours, right? Yeah. So 50, 60, 70, 80 hour work weeks was very common. And so even if you're working a 40 hour work week, which some, you know, there's a whole argument of people that say that's too much, whatever, that's way less yeah. than previous generations. But it's like, you know, why, why do we have more television time than mm-hmm. like ever before? Mm-hmm. And yet we're like so much more anxious and so much more depressed. And we have all these mental health things, and you know, whatever. And um, David Peril basically makes the argument, you know, it's not rejuvenating to turn your brain off and zone out in front of the TV. Like if you if you have a day, Jocko's talked about this too. If you have a day where you're like, oh, I, I need a rest day. I'm going to rest today. And you use it slothfully. You just 
lay around. You don't use your brain. You don't use your body. You don't do anything. You're just like, I'm just laying on the couch. Do you feel better after that day? I do not. No, I don't. Yeah, I can say 100% from experience, like, yeah, that is not rejuvenating for me. I think that it's going to be. It sounds rejuvenating when you're having a hard day. Like when you go, oh, I could do that this weekend. Mm-hmm. It sounds rejuvenating. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna binge on Netflix this weekend and just, yeah. But it's not it's rejuvenating not. after I actually do it. And so um, he talks about how the Greeks saw leisure as a time for learning, and um, our, I think it's like our word for school actually came from the Greek word for leisure. I think that's I think interesting. That's right. Um, but anyways, he's and he talks about how if we see time and money as two sides of the same coin. Then time spent not making money is wasted. But if we can change our mindset around that, then we can be more productive, first of all. But like not not in like an earning money kind of way, no, but as in like, like a self development. Well. Yeah. Using it in a meaningful, meaningful way. And so he he points out that meaningful leisure can often look like work. Um, and I think we've kind of like naturally found ourselves in this place because mm-hmm. Just because of things that we do for mapped out money. And so it's like the the line between our leisure and our work is like very blurry. Because like totally. a lot of times I'm reading for leisure and fun, <laughs> but, but also are we gonna talk about that on a podcast? Yeah, and so therefore uh, is it work? Yeah. Kind of. But anyway, so I think that I think that what we do has like helped us try to think about more meaningful leisure activities. Yeah, I think that's great. I think uh, it's really the same argument we make with budgeting, right? We're not saying that every hour of your day should be productive and making money in that way. We're not saying that every dollar of your budget should either go to paying down debt or investing. We're saying you have a limited number of dollars, you have a limited number of hours. How can you spend those towards your highest priority values? And for most people, when they really think about it, watching and consuming television for a significant portion of their week is not on their list of highest priority values. Yeah. Um, And it's it's just not rejuvenating. It's not that you should never do it. We just watched a movie last night. Like, we do watch TV some, but we just try to be more thoughtful about not making that our go-to leisure activity. Yeah. We try not to equate leisure with turning our brain off. Off. Yeah. So let me finish up um, reading these like last couple of quotes that I pulled out from his article. It says the value of free time depends not on the activity you pursue, but on how much satisfaction it gives you. And then he said, work, play, relax, just don't kill time. That's good. I thought it was really good. Um, also, I liked I liked this line. I'll stop after this. But he said work and leisure time are both gifts to embrace. So I think like when you think about it that way, it just makes you think about it more intentionally. Both. Yeah. 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 Okay. I think that's fun money. Cool. Fun money. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you liked it. Let us know. And when I say let us know, I I mean that seriously. I actually got an email from somebody who said, I wish there was a way for like more interaction, like with podcasts, like there is on YouTube where I can leave a comment on like specific episodes. Uh, And I do too. I wish there was. So if you did really like something or you just want to interact or say something, just shoot us an email. Yeah, we do. We we, read every email. We try to reply to every single email. Um, It really does mean a lot to us. So nick at mapped.money.com is the easiest place and um, would love to hear from you. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 